You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And that can mean only one thing, and that is that uh, it's about time for David's pick. And uh, we've got a very special guest on today, and uh, his name is Michael Dover. And Michael was a 2016 inductee into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And uh, Michael, welcome to America's Web Radio. Well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here, as well as an honor. Well, uh, honor probably not. And I and I've got to fess up. I I made an idiot out of myself last night, which most folks that know me figure, well, what else is no? But uh, again, publicly, I wanted to apologize to uh, Mike for uh, a less than warm reception last night at, when I was at home, and. Uh, Sometimes I can do it and sometimes I can't, Mike, is that uh, sometimes I can turn the station off when I go home and, and forget about everything, or other times it goes with me, and last night was one of the times I'd turned it off totally, and the bells just didn't go off, and once again I apologize, and uh, you're quite the gentleman. Well, uh, I appreciate that, David, and I'll, and I'll tell you that... Um it's hard in today's military when we have young men and women uh, deployed overseas and one minute uh, we want them to engage the enemy and the next minute we want them to hand out water and so it's a difficult thing when you've been trained that to come back to the united states and live a or try to live a normal life and that on and off switch sometimes gets broken so no apology necessary uh i totally understand and get it i'm a veteran myself and uh it's good to be amongst uh, comrades. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, as I mentioned last night, I always make it very clear on the air that uh, uh, I am a veteran, or I've been told I am, so I'll, I'll take it for that. But I did not serve in Vietnam. I, I was in the military and the reserves during Vietnam, but I did not serve. So uh, my hat's off, or my helmet is off for uh, all you guys that did, and uh, I'm very fortunate, and, and uh, that my son is uh, in the Air Force, serving in Germany. So uh, he took up the slack, I guess, and where where father let it down, he took it up. So anyway, very proud of him, and uh, and you know, and we talked about it, I think, a little bit last night, Mike. But you know, things have changed so much, and. Uh, it wasn't certainly wasn't like being able to give Robert a hug yesterday, but at least the uh, the idea of of uh, being able to see him and with with uh, messenger and all that stuff. And I I think many many times about my father who was in the Navy during World War Two, and uh, I I don't. You know, it must have been a killer uh, having to write letters and, you know, two weeks later you'd get the letter or three weeks or whatever, and <laughs> correspondence was slow and at best. And um, just things have changed. 
And for the better, I might add, you know, families can sit here in the United States and then in the snap of a finger have a teleconference with their loved one in Afghanistan or Iraq or Egypt or some other outpost in this world where we send our men and women. And it's so absolutely cool. Uh, personally, I wish it had existed during my time. I'm considered a Cold War veteran. And uh, again, you know, cell phones weren't invented until late in the 1980s, if, if my history serves me correct. And sometimes uh, uh, my history can be very wrong. Uh, but um, it is a, a, an incredible thing to be able to talk to your loved ones uh, overseas right now in real time. And uh, sure does beat letter writing because if you know anything about me i hate writing and yet <laughs> it's the very thing i do now <laughs> well some sometimes what is it our transgressions catch up with us or something <laughs> very true i think very true but it's uh you know I, that has been good and and i guess one of the things that uh, has upset me over the past few years was um and I had certainly had nothing to do with it other than watching it on TV. But it was our was NASA and uh, the knowledge that we gained from space is working for us today. And uh, to have cut that program out and all the uh, all the opportunities to discover new things, I thought was was a crime unto itself. But. You know, we get along and we uh, have to go from there. So I want to, I didn't do a real good job of introducing you. You are the national chaplain for the Disabled American Veterans. Is that the right title? That is correct. I've been that uh, now for six years. Wow. And and that's a story in itself. Because it was something, I was not looking for that position. Uh, If I may just digress a little bit sure. and tell you a little story how i got that position i'm sitting at home minding my own business of course i've been in ministry 35 years and uh, quite quite content at home when i get a phone call from the national uh, headquarters of the disabled american veterans and uh, a gentleman on the other end uh says uh, hey dover uh, you're doing a great job as uh state commander for our organization and you know we'd like you to consider coming up on the national stage and be our chaplain because we understand your credential and i kindly uh, informed that gentleman that nope not interested but i appreciate uh his consideration now there was this uh, very uncomfortable pause on the other end and next thing you know i hear is dover you're not listening to me from that moment forward i started listening to him <laughs> and the rest is history <laughs> and, and what was on his shoulders, or did, did were we outranked or just outpositioned? He he was he was a high ranking uh, staff uh, uh, position within the organization. Made a matter of fact, he was I would call him the CEO if I had to. Uh, and basically, uh, he was uh, a very kind gentleman. He's since retired, and uh, he saw some things in me that a lot of people have seen. Because Dover doesn't go out and start volunteering for th- things. I just see things that other people are doing, and I say, I want to be part of that because it does good things for our veterans. And so, therefore, that's how I get involved. And the next thing you know, I get get awarded for this or I get recognized for that. And it's not about recognition or awards. It's about doing the right thing for our veterans. So true. And uh, we went through, and, and I'm, again, mentioned this probably more times than I should, but I'm 
extremely proud of the citizens today, and a lot of it's because of the veterans that have said, you you ain't going to treat them like you treated us. And, right. uh, you know, they uh, the Vietnam veterans and um, pre uh, post-Vietnam veterans are out making sure that when our troops come back from the Mideast or wherever they might be, that they are well-treated going through airports, well-treated by the USO, well-treated right. by everybody. And, um, I, you know, and, and we say this often, and, and uh, I don't know, I don't think it's overused by any means, but people have to understand that our freedom is not free. And the people that make sacrifices, and uh, I'm sure, oh, I can't imagine what you see on a day-in and day-out basis, uh, whether and everybody thinks well, disabled veteran means that they've lost a limb or something. Well, <laughs> disabled veterans can be a lot of things from from that, from losing a limb to uh, terrible P- uh, PTSD or up and down the gambit. And uh, I'm sure you have some situations or know of situations that are almost indescribable. Well, absolutely, and you, you hit the nail on the head when you made that statement that when you uh, assign the word disabled to somebody, people are thinking for a physical, actual defect, and that is not the case. PTSD can't be seen uh, unless someone acts it out. Uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, uh, causes uh, uh, a jolt in the brain, bruises it, um, and and then you're not able to speak properly, but you still may have all your arms, your legs. Uh, you can you can breathe. You can eat on your own. But there is a, a a disruption in your normal lifestyle that you're used to prior to that event happening. And um, it's interesting because you know I'm a my dad is 78. And he doesn't look a day over 55. I'm 57, and I don't look a day over 13. And um, <laughs> Bottom line is I had to grow this goatee that I have because I'm a, currently a school bus driver, and it was uh, so that they wouldn't confuse me with one of the kids. <laughs> so b- bottom line is is that people don't know that I'm a disabled veteran. Um, uh, in the school system that I work for now, I'm, I'm retired Army. I retired from Northrop Grumman. And bottom line is is every November uh, Veterans Day, I'd wear my dress blues to drive as a bus driver. I wanted the, the kids to know there are veterans out there defending uh, this country, our Constitution, our way of life, and I wanted them to be aware of that. And um, I remember one particular story. I'm driving the school bus north uh, to the school system when this young high schooler, well, Mr. Mike, and that's what they all called me on the school bus, he says, do you have PTSD? And he yells it out in front of the whole bus. Now, i am not been diagnosed with PTSD, mind you. So I thought I'd have a little fun with this. And after a little uncomfortable pause on his part, I said, well, you know, I think I do, but I didn't take my medications this morning, so I don't know how this ride is going to end. And it was the most quietest bus I have ever enjoyed in my entire life. And I took advantage of that and just smiled real big as the bus just remained quiet, as I had to drive another 15 miles to get to the school campus. No one said anything. And, of course, you know, you're smiling at all these students as they're getting off the bus at their particular campus. And eventually they all warmed back up to me. They thought it was a a unique statement to make. But I just had a little fun with that. But the thing is, is that 
PTSD is real, TBI is real, loss of limbs is real, and I know many in the disabled American veterans community that have a variant uh, of all of those plus. And, you know, it's interesting uh, when you're a disabled American veteran and you're in this organization, nobody talks about their disabilities because, well, everyone has one. So, you know, there's no need to discuss it and try to up one on a bigger or badder disability. We all have an understanding amongst the veteran community, hey, you served, you're less than the 1% of the American population that chose to put on the uniform, here you are, and uh, you're the hero. And it doesn't matter if you've seen combat or did not see combat, I can tell you in the 21 years as an infantryman in the active army, I never saw a day of combat. But that doesn't lessen my service any, because I'm still less than the 1% of those Americans who volunteered whether they were drafted in Vietnam or volunteer, you could have drafted and been a draft dodger in Vietnam during that era, but you chose not to. I volunteered from high school out of a born necessity to get out of work. And uh, to let your audience know what I'm talking about, I was raised on a dairy farm, and a dairy farm was hard. We'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning milking cows and doing all those chores. You'd get off the bu- bus at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon, change your clothes, go out and do chores, and still doing homework at 9.30. And I wanted to get out of that lifestyle, so I joined the Army because all they required of me was push-ups. <laughs> so bottom well, line is Maybe a little is bit that, more than that. <laughs> well, I, I know this. The Army changed my life. It matured me. Um, I was a very immature individual. Did some really stupid things as a private. And I can tell you that uh, the Army matured me in many ways, and I'm grateful for my service. If it didn't benefit the country as a whole, it benefited my who I am today. Well, you know, this is something that, uh, like I said, I'm very proud of my younger son that's uh, uh, in the Air Force and stationed in Germany. That, But I feel like I support Israel's policy of everybody has to serve. And, you know, I few, in fact, I would say, well, certainly everybody that's come in here from the, the Hall of Fame is are just wonderful folks and i think the service is good i know from my standpoint my basic training and and ait uh gee i learned how to take care of my clothes and uh yeah i thought there was some kind of magician i think it was called a maid that had always taken care of my clothes but i'd i'd leave them all over the place and come home and they were hung up so um, until I was 27 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to do all that myself. And, um, of course, when I got married, my wife wanted to take care of those things for me. We've been married almost 30 years now. A uh, wonderful woman. Um, I remember a time when I was in Korea, and you could put your, your uniform. I'm sorry. I lost you. I'm through and pick all that stuff up, and at the end of the day, they'd have your spoots uh, spit shine, your fatigues pressed, hanging on the doorknob when you came in out of the out from your training, and it was wonderful. And I got kind of spoiled then. So when I came back to the states, I was using instead of ironing my own clothes like I had to up to that point, I started using dry cleaners a lot more. So <laughs> <laughs> I got spoiled in Korea. I can imagine. Well, but it's uh, that. Tell me more about what you do as as the national chaplain for the. Uh, DAV. Sure. Um, this uh, basically, uh, I'm the chaplain over every faith 
that is part of the organization. So we have Muslims. Uh, we have uh, 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 the um, Israelites, the, the Jews as part. We have Christians. We have non-Christians. We have atheists. We have agnostics. You're basically the spiritual leader over all of that. And the Constitution bylaws of our organization says that we are non-sectarian so that there's no discriminatory uh, um, movements made within your – if you served your country honorably – and you're a disabled vet at 0% or at 100%, you can be a member of the Disabled American Veterans. So a big thing that I've had to deal with as a national chaplain seemed to be minute. But in our rituals, we, um, you know, we were a majority of Christian, uh, how should I say this? We were a Christian nation many years ago. Uh, here in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe, um, not sure. We started changing and uh, in, in our culture as Americans, and I think we've lost our identity to a good point, and we've forgotten our God to a certain extent. But from that perspective, see, I'm a, I'm a believer in Christ. That's my faith perspective. But I'm the, I'm the chaplain over all these other faiths that disagree with me. Well, my job is to simply have a common thread woven through all these different religions that make up our organization because it's not about, from the disabled American veterans' position, it's not about uh, uh, whose faith is better or whose faith is right. It's about the good things we do for veterans, regardless what their faith is. So that's what I have to deal with when I write my articles uh, bi-monthly, uh, when I'm talking to individuals. As a matter of fact, my last uh, article that I just wrote was addressing the chaplains as a whole, um, it came about in a national convention that we had in Orlando when I had a, uh, a female chaplain approach me, and she says, and I, I, I suppose she made it as a slam, but she came up to me and says, we need to, we need to make the national chaplain position better. And I had a, a few other gentlemen uh, around me, and, and, and I knew from experience that she did not know what's required or what needed to be done to be a national chaplain. And therefore, uh, I gave her my advice. She says, well, that's just a matter of semantics. And she turned around and walked away. But because of that conversation, it created an article. And basically in that article, it says, look, guys, no one is concerned about your theological prowess. No one cares how smart you are about the Bible, the Koran, or whatever, the, uh, the other, uh, the Vishnu, or any other documents that are out there that drive your faith, what they care about is whether or not you care. And so I have found that if you just simply care for others, you will open a door for you to be able to share your faith. And I've learned something else from my faith perspective, that when I'm sharing my faith, I don't have to convince anybody that I'm correct. My faith just requires me to tell the truth. Once the truth is told, you do with it whatever you wish. But I've been obedient to my faith and told you what you need to do. And so I've gotten a lot of peace from that perspective because I didn't have to shake people by the shoulders or grab their hand or, you know, beat them over the head with a Bible and say, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Um, I've learned a lot that if you're just kind and you care for people, you open doors and, um, uh, and people will come, and they will reveal the craziest things to you. But as a chaplain, as I have told the organization, when you elect or appoint someone as a chaplain, and, and by the way, you don't have to be seminary trained in the DAV to be a chaplain, which is uh, uh, an unfortunate thing. However, uh, 
It's not required. And based on the premise that I just wrote, all you have to do is care, but you have to care from a mature position. You can't think it's a platform to have church. And therefore, I find myself quite often going around uh, the United States at various department conventions, uh, reminding members, hey, look, if you're kind and you care, you'll get more, a lot more accomplished than if you simply come in like a bull in the china shop and start shaking people's uh, foundations. And I have found that has worked every single time. There used to be a term for it, and... Um I was trying to think of a, a good way to apply it, but as you were as you were talking and explaining that you're the chaplain for a multitude of different beliefs, uh, you must be a heck of a dancer. <laughs> dancing around the issues, actually, <laughs> not dancing uh, around the yeah. issues, uh, just being able to make everybody happy and and uh, dance to their tune. You know, uh, oh, oh, David, it's not about making anybody happy. My mission is not to make you happy. My mission is to ensure that you're helping veterans in the best way you possibly can. So, believe it or not, um, as the national chaplain for the last six years, I have found that people will openly discuss what they believe in my presence and ask for advice. And that's when the doors open for me to share my faith. And so it's really not about... um, uh, dancing around the, the the topics and making sure that we don't press that hot button that would set people off. Uh, you know, we're already, when you say disabled American veterans, you already know that there's a group of PTSD folks in there and TBI and a few others. And, you know, it doesn't take much to set anybody off. But I just come in and I just love them unconditionally and show them that I care by having a conversation with them and usually at these huge meetings I go to, I'll find that veteran sitting off in the corner by themselves. That's mm-hmm. not with a group or a couple. And I'll go sit down with them, and that's where I go. And next thing you know, because I'm the national chaplain, you know, just the title alone will bring people to you. Next thing you know, this this couple or this veteran is now involved uh, with that group uh, because I wanted to make sure that we included all veterans regardless. That's fantastic. And so, it's it. You're right. It's a tough thing. Uh, well, writing. I guess writing is where I'm careful. But I can assure you, when I write my articles uh, for the magazine, uh, you can find all kinds of scripture throughout that obstacle. I just don't tell you where the street address is, <laughs> and I don't come out and I paraphrase. And, and but but the spiritual principle is always in my articles. Let me. Uh, we're going to have to stop. I I was loving listening and i just ran right through one of our breaks but we'll take a break and we'll be back with sergeant michael dover right after this good morning my name is mike mizell i'm a retired army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a March 
implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do appreciate you listening to America's Web Radio. And uh, we've got Mike Dover. Uh, he is the National Chaplain for the Disabled Veterans Association. At, uh, Mike, how many uh, veterans are involved with the DAV? We have about uh, 1.2 million members right now. Um, we've we've declined uh, over the years because our World War II veterans are are uh, becoming of age where they're now passing away. And uh, our Vietnam veterans, uh, I would tell you, 60% of our memberships are Vietnam vet- veterans or Vietnam era veterans, and uh, they really make up the organization as we know today. And the reason why there's a disparity between veterans of yesterday and the veterans today veterans today are all about social media something older veterans did not have uh we believed in face-to-face contact and veterans today when we alluded to communications at the beginning of your show Mm -hmm. about being able to see our loved ones in a split moment well that's what the this current new generation of veterans are used to and so they're into social media and Facebook and Messenger and Twitter and things that I don't care for. Um, but if you want to reach out to a younger veteran, that's where you have to go. And so uh, the membership numbers have fallen a little bit. We were at 1.4 one time, then 1.3, but we're just under 1.2 million now. But we've made uh, an incredible effort to reach out through our communications department Dan Clare is the director there, and he's just done a marvelous job with uh, free PSAs and things of that nature about getting to these new generation of vets that um, are having issues, and um, sometimes the old skills that these old veterans have are what's needed right now to get them through the process at the Veterans Affairs. Well, uh, I hope you'll uh, tell the gentleman that you mentioned to send us some uh PSAs. How, in oh. fact, that brings up a, a question I was going to ask. How uh, do you all get that much publicity from the national media that uh, that is supportive of what you all are doing? Uh, I will tell you that from a national perspective, when, when, when I say national, I'm talking about ABC, CBS, NBC. Uh, we do not get much recognition on those programs. But if you have cable and you have folk TV or all those old-timey channels, we are saturated on that, uh, all over that. Plus, um, every state is required by federal law, I believe, uh, to provide free public service announcement for vet, uh, for organizations. I don't know if it's specific for veterans or not. I think it's just free PSAs as public service announcements within their community. And we have tapped into that unbelievably. Uh, it is just amazing driving down uh, Interstate 75 or up I-95 or 85 uh, in, in my area where I live in the state of Georgia. You'll see billboards advertising the disabled American veterans and our mission. It's just absolutely amazing how we're able to reach outside the three major net- news networks 
uh, and then uh, in turn still be able to saturate uh, the audience with our uh, PSAs. It's just amazing. That's good. And I, you know, we uh, have, I don't want to say dedicated, but our, we are an advocacy <laughs> web station that people, a lot of folks don't even know what I'm talking about, but we, uh, we, we, dedicate most of our time if not all of our time to areas that we feel are needed uh, from we uh, we do an elderly abuse show we do a venezuelan show um, because of we feel that it's needed because other people aren't addressing it and i want to mention too that this is the georgia military veterans hall of fame show and uh, colonel Rick White has just done an uh, uh, incredible job of lining up guests to be on, like our guest today, Michael Dover, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I don't think, in reality, Mike, that too much can be done. Uh, we owe, as a country, we owe everything to our military and to our ministry and you know, it's good that we have a president that appreciates our military. And by the way, I want to mention one quick thing, too, about our president and our first lady. I've been doing this thing now for about uh, two weeks, I guess, not quite two weeks. But I hope anybody listening will take the time to send our first lady a thank you note for all she does for our country and bringing dignity and elegance and class back to our White House, and she's done a fantastic job and has gone through criticism for for no reason. So just take the time. Christmas has come and gone, so it's not Christmas card. It's just a thank you note, thanking our First Lady Melania Trump for doing a super job, which <clears throat> I was also very impressed uh, with our president, calling the troops uh, during Christmas, yesterday as a matter of fact, and uh, he has recognized how valuable our military is, and my, uh, if, I, if I had a helmet, I'd tip my helmet to him. <laughs> well, that is a great idea, and I'm in total agreement with that. Even, even leadership, uh, or folks in leadership positions, Sometimes hearing from the public gives them that shot of encouragement that puts that extra lift in their step, and it's needed. Everybody needs encouragement, and I'm telling you, uh, the um, the fire that this current administration has been under, uh, any words of encouragement sent to them, I think, is a great idea. Well, thank you, and I, I hope people will take it from a chaplain if they won't take it from an old radio guy maybe they'll take it from the chaplain and uh, get out there get that pen and paper and send her a thank you note and absolutely uh, it just uh she's a nice lady we we had a uh i have a uh, an acquaintance not a, not a close friend but an acquaintance that went up and worked in uh, on decorating the christmas tree and said the trump's were just incredibly nice. It was just like being with friends. And, uh, you know, they worked, and Melania worked on the tree, and uh, 
you know, that they, and she'd say, can I get you anything to drink? Or, you know, you need anything? Or you need a sandwich? Or you need anything? And that uh, it was just, it was like being in a friend's home. And I think that just, you know, tells the story. And so that's why we started the, the thing of sending our First Lady a, a thank you note. So with that, let's get back to Mike and what he's doing. What? Let me ask this, and, and this is one that we didn't discuss last night. Uh, what, as, as a person listening to this, whether I'm a veteran or not a veteran, what can I do what can we do? What can citizens do to help you, Mike? Uh, first of all, uh, if you are a veteran, do not go to the Veterans Affairs alone. You're going to need help to navigate through that huge maze of bureaucracy if uh, you're applying for benefits or if you are a dependent of a veteran and you are, uh, your veteran has passed away from a disability that was diagnosed many years ago, don't go to the VA on your own. I suggest you, and, and you know, this is a plug for all veteran service organizations. Uh, I just know that the disabled American veterans do all the services for veterans and their dependents for free, as I think all veteran service organizations do. Uh, but we're trained specifically uh, in the CFR 38 Code of Federal Regulation Law that deals with disabilities for veterans. We know how to read it. We know how to look at your medical records from the military. Uh, we know how to look at uh, current medical records if you are consistently receiving care on disabilities in the past. And the best way to help me is come see your local DAV, uh, Disabled American Veterans Chapter. We have service officers that are properly trained to walk you through free of charge so you don't have to have that headache. And, and if, do, do I have time to share a story? Sure. My next door neighbor, retired staff sergeant, and basically he's broke. When I say broke, I'm talking about he has given his all to Uncle Sam, and his body is just broke. And he was so frustrated. So three months, uh, I've known him for a number of years because he's been my next door neighbor, and he just comes to me, and he knew I was the national chaplain, and he's complaining about he can't get this and he can't get that. And they're stonewalling here, and I said, well, that's because you're not approaching it appropriately. He says, what do you mean? I said, sit down with me, give me some time, and I'll explain to you what it is that you need to do. Because here's the deal. You may be hurting, uh, and let's say you have a short threshold of pain. So you go to the VA, and you see a VA doctor, and he's doing a physical on you to determine your disability. And the next thing you know, you can touch your toes before you feel pain. Well, that's not what the CFR 38 law describes. The CFR 38 says it's range of mobility, not pain. So a lot of veterans confuse themselves between pain and range of mobility. Well, this young man, my next door neighbor, had some similar issues. I said, here's what you're going to do. Now, I didn't tell him to cheat. I just told him, be honest. Be honest with your body. Be honest with the doctor and do what you can and don't do what you can't do. Let him know what it is that you can't do. A lot of these uh, these kids, I call them, because I'm much older than they are now coming in, uh, they go in and they act like there's nothing wrong. And if the doctor doesn't know, the doctor's not going to write it down. And next thing you know, you've been denied. And so there goes your proof from your military service of anything that happened while you were wearing the uniform. 
So this young man, he's so frustrated. It took me three months. I says, go to sick call. Now, I'm a retired infantry first sergeant. So just to give you an idea, I thought sick call AWOL. You know, you don't go on sick call. You suck it up and you drive on. I do regret that mentality of mine because it's hurt me in my own disabilities that were not uh, recorded. So therefore, I can't um, uh, use them for uh, more disabilities at this time, but this young man came to me and I told him everything he needed to do, go on sick call and go on sick call on a regular basis. Just because you have one incidence in your military record doesn't mean it's a disability. And that's where a lot of veterans are confused. But if it's a showing pattern in your military medical records that you continually have an issue, rest assured, it can be a disability when they get out. So I took to this man and I took his medical records and I laid everything out he should be paying for with the current records he had right now. He was like 125% disabled. Wow. Now, the VA is only going to pay you a max of 100%. And um, I take a side note here. There are veterans out there that are 100% and they want more and so they submit their records to uh, increase their benefits, which the VA is not going to do. But every time you submit for benefits to the VA, they get to open your records again and take a look at your history. And I know three individuals right now that were 100% have been knocked down to either 0, 20, or 60% because they weren't going to the VA for their disabilities. They weren't ordering the prescription drugs that they needed. They weren't going to see the doctor on a regular basis. So the VA said, hey, they must be, they must be healed. And it reduced them. And once you get reduced by the VA, which is the United States government, you can never get that back, and if you do get it back, it will take you years to build up your case again to show that you still have those issues at the intensity in which you have them prior to them reducing your benefits. So that's just a warning to the veterans out there. Don't go that route. Don't, don't, if you are at 100%, don't open up your records to the VA. Just don't do it. Now, going back to this young man, so I had 10, 12, 13 items that I knew based on his medical records that he was going to get disability for. And I said, now you go see the doctor for all 13 of these, and you had them multiple in your uh, multiple times in your uh, medical records, at which time he did exactly what I told him to do. Three days before his retirement, he was so happy, he came over, and he shared with me, he says, I got 100%. And I said, you did exactly what I asked you to do. Most veterans, when they go alone, don't know what it is you have to do, and then either by experience through trial and error they figure it out or just come to your local disabled american veterans chapter we'll help you and i always give my number out to any veteran that wants uh, my help in the in the national organization i said look if you're having problems at your local level call me i know the big guns and i know all the national service officers that work we have 268 national service officers that work in the various cities throughout the united states and these guys are trained for 16 months so well that they're paralegals and can represent the veteran in front of the federal judge when they go do their appeals. These guys are that smart. And those guys can see things that sometimes I can't see. And so for your listeners out there that are that's a veteran, don't go it alone. If you want to help me, then help me help you by just coming to see a DAV rep. We'll assist you in your claim free of charge and therefore uh, we'll take care of you. And if there's something there that you can gain, such as more benefits, 
we're happy for you, but sometimes you can bring us records and there's nothing in them and there's nothing we can do for you. So, David, I appreciate the free plug for Disabled American Veterans. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, that's exactly what we wanted, and uh, we want more of it. You know? Oh, I've got uh, more. The uh, And part of the reason that I ask is that I have learned a lesson, uh, not me. Well, my brother-in-law is learning a lesson, um, and the VA is very uh, date-sensitive, I guess you should say, uh, my brother-in-law served in the Navy and was was um, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, and in the, his ship was part of the blockade, and yet that you know that was not considered a war, and I'm glad it wasn't a war. But he he um, retired from the Navy or, or got his honorable discharge one day before they declared Vietnam a war. And wow. so he's not really, you know, he can't say he served during wartime, but the way I understood it, and I, my younger sister's helping my older sister and my brother-in-law, and now we've got a, an attorney involved. Uh, you probably know him, Swain. Mm. Um, I don't think I do. He uh, He works with veterans all the time on just, cases like this where uh, they've denied my brother-in-law anything, but the way I understood it, when I was in, if you serve 180 consecutive days, then you've served, and you're you're eligible for um, veteran benefits. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm glad you said that. A lot of veterans out there believe that because they didn't fight in combat or wasn't a wartime vet, that they're, they can't receive uh, Veteran Affairs help. The only reason you will not receive Veteran Affairs assistance is when you make, I think the law is $35,000 or more per year. If you make 35000 more per year, it doesn't matter what era of veteran you are. Uh, the VA has some stipulations to that. But if you served, whether it was peacetime or wartime, and you have injuries, whether peacetime or wartime, you are authorized by federal law, Veterans Affairs Assistance and Help and Health Care. And a lot of veterans don't seem to understand that. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's a point that needs to be made to your audience. You know, Mike, if you can put up with me, I think we probably should do another show or two down the road. What do you think? I would love to. <laughs> I know we're pressed for time, but I would love to. There's so much information that I have that can assist veterans in their help. So I'm really enjoying this. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, this is my small way because I, I, I have the station and we go out. We literally go around the world. So we're talking. Who knows who we're talking to at the moment uh, that may or may not be a veteran or will be will be getting out soon and become a veteran and uh, so you know i'm serious about wanting to do more than one show and if the yeah well we'll talk after the show or or in the next few days too that if the uh, it's like every other show that we do and i certainly have a, a big place in my heart for veterans particularly but Every show that we do, it's all comes down to education and information. And 
you know, a lot of a lot of times you don't know where to start, but right, uh, it's available. The information is there somewhere, and uh, you know, we we've, we've got more technology and and more uh, muscle power than we've ever had in in history, and it's all uh, a matter of being told where to go on the computer or what you need to do here right. or do there, and. And uh, right. that's the game we try to play, and that's what we want to do here at uh, America's Web Radio. And want to put a plug in again for how you and I have met, and that was through a gentleman named Rick White, who is uh, the CEO of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, which is downtown. And it's, you know, everybody should go and go through it at least once, and if you're coming to Georgia, no matter what state you're from, take the time to go to that, and then we also have been publicizing the fact that um, the Healing Wall is coming to the town where I live, which is Johns Creek, uh, and will be dedicated, I think it's March the 28th, and that's the wall, the Vietnam Veterans Wall, it's the 50% size that has traveled all over the United States and given people that couldn't get to Washington a chance to see the Vietnam Veterans Wall and uh, it's got a permanent home now in Johns Creek, Georgia and uh, Mike Mazel and the Veterans uh, Vietnam Veterans Association and Johns Creek have done a just an incredible job. So write it down on your calendar folks that March the 28th, it'll be open in Newtown Park in Johns Creek, and please come by, find, it's the story that uh, Roger Wise tell, tells, and, and Roger uh, was has been a big supporter of it and has done many, many things for veterans across the state, but he was at the Washington Veterans Wall, Vietnam Veterans Wall, and um he saw a lady, and there was a, a gentleman with her, and the gentleman had traced the name of somebody and uh, looked up and said, I met my father today. Wow. And uh, wow. That, that will get you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so wow. we, we owe our veterans, and like I said earlier, freedom is not free, and if we go somewhere as a nation uh, in uniform it's to serve the country and chaplain in my feeling you know and I can't say I can't paint a, a brush and say it covers everybody but we also go to serve God because we are a godly country that's right um to add to your um, your recognition of veterans, uh, I would just say on behalf of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, it is only one of 11 Hall of Fames in the United States. We have 50 states, and only 11 of those states have Hall of Fame for their veterans. And even though I'm not particularly a special veteran of any kind, and it was just by a fluke of luck that I ended up being uh, inducted, uh, through friends and family who saw what I did, there are so many other veterans out there that are doing great things in the community that we don't even know. And if your listeners uh, would mind, go to the website, go to Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, look at how you can nominate them uh, 
for the great stuff that they're doing. We need to recognize these folks. And who better to hire uh, to work in your community than a veteran that cares, a veteran that already knows what self-sacrifice is all about, a veteran that will go the extra mile when most people won't because they've been trained to go the extra mile. And so, uh, you know, folks that I see that are put into these Hall of Fames or uh, are, are living locally, um, they're doing incredible jobs, and we just don't know it. Why not recognize them as a memorial to um, your families and all those descendants to come after so they can know who grandpa or great-grandpa was and what he did and what made him so special. And I think um, if you want to recognize a veteran, that is the best way to do it is just nominate them uh, and uh, recognize them for just something that they probably think it's an everyday activity. Wow. <laughs> um, you said it so well. I, I I can't top that in any, nor would I try to top it. Um, we we just we have to take care of our veterans, and I always make a note that, uh, and I've done it for years, that whenever I'm traveling, because of the way I was treated when I came out of uh, basic during the Vietnam era, but, uh, you know, we couldn't even wear our uniforms through an airport, and right. I make it a point that if I'm at an airport, whether it's uh, Atlanta Hartsville Airport or, or uh, one someplace else, if I see a veteran with a cap on saying that he's a veteran or he served on the USS whatever, um, or if I see a current military person, um, one that's on active duty now that's traveling through the airport, I buy him a meal. And uh, I just, it makes me feel a whole lot better and it makes them feel. They can well afford, uh, our our troops are paid pretty well now. And, um, you know, I know that they can afford to buy their own lunch or dinner or drink or whatever it happens to be. But if you want to, you know, it's, well, you know it better than I do, Mike. I'm more blessed to give than to receive, and mm-hmm. it just makes you feel good that you've done something for your country obscurely, but you've done it because you bought a military or a veteran a meal, and it makes you feel good, makes you feel real good, in fact. So whenever you're traveling, try it out sometime. You'll You'll love it. And, David, I would say in the final minutes here that uh, you're practicing what you preached. Uh, Earlier you said, send letters of encouragement to our First Lady. And what better way to send encouragement to our veterans than to buy them a meal? You know, it takes a veteran to know a veteran because a veteran to veteran understand what the sacrifices are. But if you're a family of a veteran or you don't even know a veteran but you want to do something nice, take David's advice. If you see one on the street, buy him a meal. They're going to be a little embarrassed at first because they think that what they're doing is just everyday stuff, but it will be appreciated in the long run. I think, David, that's uh, well said. Well, I want to go one step further with it, Mike, and that's uh, that's our first responders, too. Um, Absolutely. They are, our, they are our touchable day in and day out heroes because they're there when we call them, be it the firefighter, the police, the 
EMT, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And uh, I, I guess I'm just nuts, but uh, there's one particular place here in uh, Sandy Springs that I that I'll go to lunch many times, and and uh, and it's not a donut shop. It's a regular, <laughs> it's a regular place to eat, and I'll see some police friends there, and I it just. I, I'm just, I'm just, I just like to feel good, and it makes me feel good to buy a cop or a EMT uh, a lot. Absolutely, you know, and uh, absolutely, it's, uh, uh, you know, these these guys, and we don't appreciate it that that they put their lives in harm's way for us. And uh, many, many, many years ago, I was an EMT, and and um, you know, it's. Uh, I, I think I have never enjoyed anything more in my life than than when you'd look at somebody and they'd look up at you and and uh, you know they knew I didn't know that I wasn't a doctor and uh, wasn't trying to be a doctor but you could see mm-hmm. in their eyes just get me to the hospital please mm-hmm. and uh, you know that again that was like buying them buying somebody sick a meal it, it's it just felt good to get them there where they could get the proper care that they needed and That's right. uh, you know these guys that that rush into a fire our first responders at 9-11 you know we just got, as a country we've got so many things to be thankful for we live in the best place in the world and it's not the taxes we pay it's the stuff we do to say thank you and uh, just just going up to a service person Thank you for your service. That's right. Means a lot. Yeah. And I would say that first responders stateside probably have a tougher job than veterans. At least veterans, we know what the enemy looks like and what we're up against. But a but a policeman, a sheriff, EMS, every situation they're called to, they don't know what to expect. And I think that's a little bit more harder and a little bit more stressful to a certain extent. Both professions, whether it's military or first responder, have their own stressors, but uh, sometimes I think that uh, when you show up at a situation you don't know if you're dealing with a drunk person, a sober person, or a crazy person, that kind of uh, makes the stress level go, go up. And so kudos to our first responders. I agree. If you see them out there, absolutely. And they won't know you care. They won't, won't even arrest you if you give them a dozen donuts. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We we want to keep that fat hanging over the belt, you know. That's, but, that's right. That's you know, right. No, they're 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 great folks, and uh, you know, just the thought of, am I going to see my husband when he come? Is he going to make it home? Or and right. and it's not just the first responder men; it's the first responder women as well. That uh, you know, and and the families they. <laughs> They live through trauma just like the soldier's wife does. And we made a big point many years ago when uh, when they started, when our president had to start calling up reservists to go fight uh, because we just didn't have enough active duty soldiers. And, right. uh, you know, the, the, the person that uh, has made a career out of it or is, is in on active duty for six years or whatever, their families 
are I don't want to say trained, but they're 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 used to that Joe may have to go to war, Joe may be called up, and so they learn to take care of themselves. But when they started calling up reservists, the wives were left hanging. You know the. What do I do now? I, I've been depending on Joe all this time, and he changes the light bulbs, and he mows the grass. Right, and, I, right. and I made a big push on the station that if you knew of somebody in your neighborhood that had been called up, offer to help the wife. It's not a big deal to go change a light bulb, or if a door is not Absolutely. swinging right, take care of it for him. But yeah. take care of your neighbor, and they're taking care of you whether they ever pick up a gun or not. They're still taking care of you. That's right. That's exactly right. So, am I, am I, do I qualify for preaching? Can I get on, become a chaplain? <laughs> no. Absolutely. If you're, if you're a subject matter expert, there's no reason why you can't stand on that soapbox once in a while, as long as it's truth and people can benefit from it. I say go for it. <laughs> well... I'd, I'd get laughed off the soapbox pretty quickly, I think. But uh, I do I do love our veterans, and uh, I, I'm fortunate and blessed to have not tons, but a number of friends that did serve in Vietnam. I was talking to one of them last night, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, it's just, and he made it back, but he made it back uh, covered with Agent Orange. And uh, he's paid his dues stateside that, is just incredible. He uh, he he talks now with half a tongue because he's lost most of his tongue to uh, the Agent Orange. Wow! But you know, it's uh, it, it, it it's sort of Paul Harvey, I guess, wraps it up better than anybody in the world did, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's called the rest of the story. The rest of the story. You yes, know, sir. there's a story when you enlisted and went in. There's a story while you're in, and I don't know of a veteran that doesn't have at least one story or 100 stories. <laughs> and um, so there's that story, and then there's the story, and that's what you see, is the story afterwards. And it can be as big as the story of in the middle. That's right. I agree. So yeah. I, I hope you'll uh, tell... Tell that colonel, that hard, hard-nosed colonel that we have to deal with, Mister White, that uh, <laughs> you survived my wrath. Ah, uh, uh, no issues, no worries. And uh, <laughs> we'll even consider coming back. I would love to. Uh, when that time comes, absolutely. You can always keep me in your back pocket. Well, I don't think you'd fit. I'm pretty small, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, if you don't mind hanging on, uh, let me close out. And do you have time to talk for a few minutes? Uh, sure, sure okay. I do. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the plug in the jug, get out of here, and uh, we'll be starting uh, uh, Healthcare Insight very shortly. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Mike Dover, thank you so much for being on the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame show today. And, uh, well, it's an honor for me to be here, sir. Thank you for asking. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.